Hi, and welcome to another episode of Silenced, discussing censorship and fandom. I'm your host, Tillery Hensley, and today's topic is going to be about what is legal in fandom. So I hope you enjoy. Hi, and welcome back to our podcast, Silence, Discussing Censorship and Fandom. Today's topic is about legal issues in fandom, what is legal, what is not, how that translates outside of fandom with sex and porn in general. But first, I want to talk about, uh, it is Finn slash February. Fem slash is the pairing of two women, like slash is the pairing of two men. So it is officially Fem slash February. So every podcast I do this month, I would like to recommend some fan fiction for pairing, for Fem slash pairing. If you want to recommend your fan fiction for this podcast, uh, your favorite Fem slash pairing, please do so. You can get the contact deals at the end of this episode. Contact details at the end of this episode. So for this week's Fem Slash February, I'm going to recommend Alison Argent and Lydia Martin as a ship from Teen Wolf. Y'all already know that Teen Wolf is one of my fandoms if you've been listening to this podcast. So the Fics I'm going to recommend are We're Friends When You're On Your Knees. This is by Narcis, N-A-R-C-E-U-S. It's on Archive of Her Own. It's explicit. It has a little bit of BDSM. We're Friends When You're On Your Knees. The second one I'm going to recommend is Our Two Loves Are God's Love Story. Our Two Lives, excuse me. Sorry. Our Two Lives Are God's Love Story. This is by Puppy Busby, B-U-S-B-Y. And it's rated teen. It's also on Archive of Our Own, and it's a soulmate fic. has a reincarnation in it. That's up your alley. And again, the title is Our Two Lives Are God's Love Story. The third one I'm going to recommend is Surviving a Hot College Roommate and Then Appreciating It. This is by Veterization, V-E-T-E-R-I-Z-A-T-I-O-N. It's also on Archive of Our Own. It's explicit. It is a college AU. And OMG, they were roommates. So again, the title is Surviving a Hot College Roommate and Then Appreciating It. And these are all fixed for Allison Argent slash Lydia Martin. So let's participate in Fem slash February. Today's podcast is about the legality of fan fiction. I want to go into that. So what is legal? What is legal is what we're trying to define here. And basically with fiction, pretty much everything because it's fiction. If you want to listen to the first podcast, if you haven't already, it's titled Aunties. It goes over this a little bit, but basically because it's fiction, everything is legal there. There are no actual real victims. No victims in fiction. 
So whether the topic is underage, rape, murder, torture, incest, etc., even though sometimes these are written to be sexually stimulating and sexual fantasies, it's not illegal. Having sexual fantasies is not illegal. Having a fetish is not illegal. So for legality, fan fiction is pretty much all legal, at least in the United States. We will go over this. So what is illegal? Real victims are illegal in the United States. Real victims. So we're going to go over the legal definition of child pornography. Bear with me. This is from the U.S. Code 2256. This is the legal definition of child porn. Quote, Any visual depiction, including any photograph, film, video, picture, whether made or produced by electronic, mechanical, or other means, of sexually explicit content where, A, the production of such visual depiction is involves the use of a minor engaging in sexually explicit content, B, such visual depiction is a digital image that is or is indistinguishable from that of a minor engaging in sexually explicit conduct, or C, such visual depiction has been created, adapted, or modified to appear that an identifiable minor is engaging in sexually explicit conduct. Again, this is U.S. Code 2256. So everything that archive of our own host is not illegal. And this is very important because I want to talk a little about morality and then legal. So we're not discussing the issue of morality on this podcast. Everybody has their own morals. If you're morally against something, you do you. Doesn't mean anybody else is morally against it. You can't really judge based on morals about what to have and what to not have. What is acceptable and what is not acceptable. Because that's just judging by your morality. My morality might not be somebody else's morality. Legal definitions, however are a pretty good place to judge because legal is the same for everyone. If it's legal, then it's legal for everyone. If it's illegal, then it's illegal for everyone. Fan fiction, not illegal. They are not visual depictions of children and sexual acts. They are not, and this is the key word, identifiable visual depictions of children and sexual acts. So the minor has to be an identifiable minor, and it has to be a visual depiction. So that is the legal definition of child pornography. Everything else is legal, and that should be the end of the argument, at least in the United States. Now let's go over obscenity laws, because obscenity laws also do fall into this in the United States. Now, there's no real legal definition here in the U.S. Different states have different laws. There is a federal standard, however, and this is from the case of Miller versus California. And federally, they use the Miller test. They use it from this case. 
And then this is the criteria that they established during this case, according to Cornell Law School. So the criteria is one, whether the average person applying contemporary community standards would find that the work taken as a whole appeal, appeals to prudent interest. Two, whether the work depicts or describes in a patently offensive way sexual conduct specifically defined by the applicable state law. And three, whether the work taken as a whole lacks serious literary, artistic, political, or scientific value. And this is from Cornell Law School. So Miller versus California, the Miller standard, relies heavily on uh, separate communities to create standards for defining obscenity. Uh, a lot of times though, and I'm going to give you an example of this, but these standards won't stand up in court because federal law trumps community state law. Uh, an example of this, uh, a recent case in Florida, I think it was a year ago, two years ago, there was a, a case in Florida of a man that was arrested for uh, obscenity laws over obscene materials on his truck. Now his truck had a sticker on it on his back windshield that said, I eat ass. So he got pulled over, he was arrested, but eventually the charges were dropped uh, because they found the arrest a violation of his First Amendment rights. So in that case, the officer that pulled him over and arrested him decided uh, based on his own standards that it was obscene. Based on his own community standards, he was, he was a legal authority in that community and he decided based on that community standards that the I eat ass sticker was obscene. However, it did not hold up in court. Federally, it was not seen as obscene. So when you're going by Miller versus California, the Miller standard, it doesn't necessarily hold up, even though it's the federal definition of obscenity. Sorry, I had to get something to drink. Okay. So this is like pertaining to fanfic. The Miller standard does pertain to fanfic. Because the third part of the Miller test is what most pertains to fanfic. The third part is whether the work taken as a whole lacks serious literary, artistic, political, or scientific value. But value isn't defined in the Miller standard, just that it has to have value not to be considered obscene. There is no definition for the word value. So how would value be determined? What works would have value and which would not? Uh, even if the work is just valuable to the creator, it still has value. Therefore, based on this standard, it's probably reasonable to assume that artwork in any form can't be considered obscene if you're going by the standard of Miller versus California. So therefore, fan works under this law as well can't be obscene. So fan works under federal law 
cannot be seen as obscene as defined by the Miller standard. Now, there's also a legal part about fan fiction that has nothing to do with obscenity or sex, but everything to do with copyright laws, and this is the fair use law. Uh, It has to do with copyright issues, and it's any copyrighted material done for a limited and transformative purpose, such as to comment upon, criticize, or parody a copyrighted work. That is the definition of uh, something that's within fair use, and that's uh, according to Stanford University. So any copyrighted material done for a limited and transformative purpose. So fan works certainly fall under this. Fan works are done for a transformative purpose. So they fall under fair use law, so therefore they are not copyright infringement. Also, when you look at it, fan works are free. You do not have to pay for anything you can access on Archive of Our Own. Everything you access along there is free. Same with Tumblr, same with Dream, Dream With. Uh, you, you're not making a profit off of fan fiction. There you can't, therefore, you can't be profiting off of somebody else's work. So with copyright issues, it's not so much of an issue anyway because you're not making a profit off of somebody else's. But it is uh, supported under fair use law. It might be a little different for fan art because people do sell fan art and everything, but it still should be supported under the fair use law for the most part because it's still a transformative purpose because it's taking somebody else's idea and making it their own work. So the scary part is, is we're going to go over this. So that's the legal stuff. The legal stuff is, it's not under federal law, under Miller standards, which is for obscenity law. And it's not illegal for any kind of porn law because child porn obviously is illegal, but fan fiction does not fall under child pornography. Also, uh, it, it is supported by the fair use law because it's transformative works. So legally, we know that fan fiction is supported in the United States. So what happens if fan works become illegal? There are examples for fan works and porn becoming illegal. And I want to go over these examples and what that could mean for the United States if they ever got a similar law. And in fact... Some things that have affected the United States with censorship as a whole. So sex is pretty suppressed, has been suppressed in a lot of dictatorships. Sex can refer to anything that that particular regime deemed as obscenity or pornography. It doesn't have to be like sex, but we'll go over that. These regimes are include, but are not limited to, Nazi Germany, Communist China and Russia, South Africa, Iran, and Iraq. Now, other things included in this category of sex 
were things that expressed political protest against the regime. For an example, and this is a quote, the white supremacist South African government banned black writing as pornographically immoral. So they banned it under obscenity laws. This is a from a book called Defending Pornography by Nadine Strawson. I fully recommend, if you're passionate about this issue, to read this book. It is very, very good. Uh, It is well worth the read. You don't have to buy it. Go check it out from your local library. They probably have it. It is well worth it. Promise. So in the 80s and 90s, a group of radical feminists who were anti-porn because they believed that all porn was harmful to women came together with the religious rights and they were able to get anti-porn laws passed. This was in Canada. There was a law passed in Canada that stopped the importation of obscene material into the country. Uh, This law came from the case uh, Butler versus the Queen and was supposed to ban porn that was degrading and dehumanizing to women. This information also came from Defending Pornography by Nadine Strawson. If you want to read more about this, I fully suggest you go buy this book or check it out of the library. Again, that's Defending Pornography by Nadine Strawson. So porn started getting seized after this law was passed at the U.S.-Canadian border. Specifically, uh, gay porn was seized more than any other kind of porn. Gay bookstores started to go out of business in Canada because their stock was getting taken. And meanwhile, porn that was made for straight men was basically having no trouble getting through to Canada from the U.S.-Canadian border. So porn made for straight men, having no trouble, able to get through. Porn made for gay people was being blocked and not being allowed into the country, which hurt gay bookstores in Canada, and they were not uh, able to have all of their stock that they needed to sell. In fact, uh, it wasn't just porn being seized by customs. It was anything deemed LGBTQ. And I want to talk about this as in relation to Tumblr, because when Tumblr had their porn ban, they also at first blocked tags that were gay or queer. They also blocked these tags so you they weren't searchable. So if you went into the search function and searched for gay or queer or LGBTQ, things weren't going to pop up. No results were going to be found because these were automatically flagged as NSFW. And this is the same deal. Anything that was deemed LGBTQ was seen as porn, was not being allowed into the Canada. So keep that in mind. And that is a very important point to remember. It wasn't just porn that was being banned. Also, serial killer trading cards were banned. And of course, that is a part of fandom. If you're a big serial killer buff, 
then obviously you're in the serial killer. I don't, I'm hesitant to say fandom, but yes, true crime fandom, I guess is the better term. So you're in the true crime fandom and serial killer trading cards are being banned. And then there was also a law making it a crime to print, make, publish, import, distribute, or sell, and in some cases even possess any depiction of a sexual act by anyone under 18 years old, even in fiction and art. Um, that's a quote as well from Nadine Strassen from Defending Pornography. So not only like actual children, like under 18, which is totally understandable that it's child pornography, but even fictional children. Fictional children where there were no victims were being banned in art and fiction, and it was illegal to have these items. This was actually an enforced law in Canada, and it resulted in the prosecution of a guy named Eli Langer, who was an artist from Toronto. Uh, his paintings were seized out of an art gallery called the Mercer Union. His work was seized because they contained children and adults in sexual acts, but the children weren't real. He didn't use models. Uh, all he used was his imagination, but his work was still seized out of art galleries because it was deemed, uh, you know, it was against the law by this law that was passed that said no children can be depicted in a sex act, even if they're fictional. So his work was seized, but eventually the case was dropped because this guy uh, was a pretty big deal in the arts community in Canada, and the arts community had... Uh, a reaction. They were outraged that he was going to be like sentenced and he was arrested and that his work was seized. And so eventually the case was dropped. He wasn't fully prosecuted. However, if he had been fully prosecuted, he would have faced up to 10 years in prison and really big fines. However, the prosecutors still wanted to destroy like all of his artwork, even though the case had been dropped. They wanted to completely destroy his artwork and get rid of it. And that also relates to like fan purges. I'll go into this later in other um, in another podcast. But this also relates to fan purges because when fanfiction.net changed their TOS. They didn't really tell anybody at first, and they just purged a lot of the works on fanfiction.net. People didn't get any warning. They just took it down, and those works were lost, deleted. So if you did not have a saved copy of those fan works of your fanfiction, your, your works were lost. This is also done on LiveJournal. We'll go deeper into this on a fandom purge episode, but it certainly relates to Eli Langer's artwork that they wanted to completely destroy it, even though the case was dropped. It's a bit like book burnings, uh, like I've mentioned before in regimes like communist China and communist Russia, Nazi, Nazi Germany, they would have book burnings. 
to protect the people from themselves, from reading these ideas that they weren't supposed to be reading. And just keep it in mind who is in power and who is not in power. Who makes, who benefits the most from these kinds of laws and who suffers the most for them? And we'll go over that too. Now, there was a provision in this law that was supposed to exempt works with artistic merit as well as educational, scientific, or medical value. That is also a quote by Nadine Strawson. So it was supposed to exempt artistic work, but who is deciding whose work is artistic? You know, it says this is banned in art and fiction, and then in the same law, it says, but wait, art is exempt. So who determines what's worth saving and what is not? Obviously, Eli Langer's work wasn't deemed worth saving at first until the art community put up a big hullabaloo about it. So who determines what has value and what doesn't? A lot like in the Miller case and the Miller standard, if value isn't defined, then how can we say something has value and something does not? Shouldn't all fictional and artistic works be protected as long as there are no victims. Now, as for recently, China has had a pornography ban in place since 1949. And for the most part, it, it was enforced but usually you only got a fine if they found uh, you like, dealing in pornography, writing pornography, making pornography. You only got a, a pretty decent fine. But in 2005, the creator of China's biggest porn site was um, sentenced to life in prison. This comes from a, a Slate article called They Know It When They See It by Christopher Beam. It was published June 24, 2009. You can find it on the internet if you're interested. Or if you want to read more about this, if you want to know about any of these sources, you can also contact me. That information will be at the end of this episode. So yes, in 2005, the creator of China's biggest porn site was sentenced to life in prison. And now China's censorship laws encourage reporting uh, explicit materials because they offer reward money. A lot of reward money. If you want to know the specific award money, I'm sure you can reward money. You can look it up. But they are offering a lot of reward money for people who export explicit materials that they, that they find um, online. So fans, uh, this has really affected fan works. Obviously, fans can go to prison now for creating explicit fan works and posting them online. Uh, as you would expect, like you saw in the Canadian law, 
where LGBTQ stuff was getting seized, even if it wasn't porn, and where definitely more LGBTQ stuff was getting seized for porn-wise than porn made for straight men was getting seized. In China, the same thing is happening. Explicit homoerotic works are being especially targeted because that's who is generally targeted under these laws. Generally, who is targeted is the oppressed. So minorities, the LGBTQ community, and women. Generally, everybody else is relatively not targeted by it. So the most targeted people tend to be also the most the most vulnerable people. So explicit uh, homoerotic works are especially targeted in China. And in fact, a writer in China, uh, known only as Liu in China, L-I-U, was sentenced to 10 years in prison for her novel Occupy because it had a male gay relationship in it and it had gay sex in it. Uh, This is from, the source for this is an article from The Hill called Chinese Writer Gets 10 Years in Prison for Novel Including Gay Sex Scenes by Owen Doherty. And it was published in November of 2018. If you're interested in that, you can look it up. Or like I said, you can contact me for more information. So why should people like in the United States care about this? Well, I know just not people in the United States might be listening to this podcast, but if it can happen in other countries, it can happen in the United States as well. It's happened in Canada. It's happened in dictatorship regimes and, of course, China. It's a communist country. Communism usually leads to dictatorships. And that's why we should care. (laughs) Because this is about our First Amendment rights for freedom of expression, freedom of speech. And this is why we should care. You know, I guess this is America. It would never happen here. Well, it already has. It already has happened here. And I'm going to give you some examples. So in the U.S., Mayhem Mal, a rapper, uh, was arrested for drug charges, I believe, in 2012 and uh, released later on. And then he came out with a song that the lyrics had violence, included violence toward the police. So he was charged with issuing terroristic threats and intimidating witnesses and was put in jail in 2014. Uh, This is from the article from a BuzzFeed news article called Rappers Are Are Teaching the Supreme Court About Music to Help Free a Man uh, Jailed for His Lyrics. It was by Christy Lee Yandoli on March 6, 2019. So this rapper was jailed for his lyrics, and now all these these rappers have had uh, are trying to help him with his case, 
and saying that lyrics aren't necessarily, you know, what he actually intended to do. He wasn't really intimidating witnesses. He wasn't really threatening people. It was just a song to get out his frustration. But the thing is, is that these are song lyrics. They're song lyrics. And these aren't the first violent song lyrics that have ever been sang. You know, there are tons of songs with violent song lyrics. Johnny Cash, for example, did a song called Fultz and Prison Blues. And there's a lyric in it about how we shot a man in Reno just to watch him die. And Johnny Cash was arrested a few times for drug charges, just like this rapper was arrested for drug charges. And while no, Johnny Cash did not say that he shot a police officer just to watch him die in the song. He does say, I shot a man in Reno just to watch him die. And yet no police came and knocked on his door and assumed that it was a murder confession. You know, assumed that he was confessing to actually murdering someone. And this is the same. Song lyrics aren't meant to be taken literally, just like poetry isn't meant to be taken literally. When Edgar Allan Poe sat down to write The Raven, I'm sure he didn't think that a raven was literally talking to him about his lost love, Lenore. I'm pretty sure that's not what was happening. When Edgar Allan Poe wrote The Telltale Heart, I'm sure he was not really confessing to murdering somebody and putting him underneath his floorboards. I'm pretty sure Edgar Allan Poe didn't do that. And when you start to take fiction and lyrics and poetry as actuality, as real, as something that's supposed to be seen as confessions or actual threats, I think you have a little bit of a problem. You might not agree with what they're saying. Maybe you're disgusted by what they're saying. Maybe it's really not your cup of tea, but it still doesn't make it illegal. Just because you don't agree with it, just because that particular message might contradict what, like I said, what you believe might disgust you, doesn't make it illegal. Turn the channel. Click the back button. Turn the radio off. That's all you have to do. Rappers typically put on characters, and it's their characters who's from point of view the rap music is. It's not always their real life. And even if it is, I don't think he's going to have a song about killing cops and then go out and kill cops and try to get away with it. Doesn't seem that smart. (laughs) It's just a way to get out his frustration. And the fact that somebody can sit in jail for years because of his song lyrics is truly outrageous to me and really should be outrageous to anyone who hears this story.
Also in the United States, in Alabama, the, a public television station there refused to air an episode of Arthur, which is a children's television show, because it contained a same-sex wedding. The station said that it would, quote, violate their audience's trust, unquote. This is from an article called, um, it's also, but this is from an article called, The Station Doesn't Want Kids to See Mr. Ratburn's Same-Sex Wedding. Uh, a woman named Lauren Sherpagel wrote this. hope I'm pronouncing her name right. In May of 2019. Again, if you want any of these uh, sources, my contact information will be at the end of this episode. So feel free to hit me up about that. So yes, this television station did not want and refused to air an episode of Arthur because it featured a same-sex wedding. So they made a decision based on their own moral grounds. Remember, these things shouldn't be decided on morality because everybody's morality is different. Everybody has, there is no one religion in this country. There is no one moral code. Of course, not all morality comes from religion. I'm sure atheists have morals. I'm an agnostic. I certainly have my own morals. But everybody has their own moral code. And for what's moral for some is immoral for others. So obviously this station saw same-sex marriage as immoral. But to me, that's immoral, not same-sex marriage. But seeing same-sex marriage as immoral is immoral. Because same-sex marriage is marriage, period. It's all marriage. I don't see marriage as immoral. So how can one type of marriage be immoral? Except if the, if the parties aren't consenting or of age. I mean, if the parties are all consenting and there's no child brides or grooms there, that's their own business. But not to get into politics. I mean, this kind of episode. But anyway, anyway, so this station based a decision on their own moral grounds which shouldn't be allowed in my opinion. It should go on legal grounds. That's why legal grounds are established. And it is not illegal to air a children's episode that features a same-sex wedding. That is not illegal. It should have gone on the air. They shouldn't have been able to make that kind of decision based on moral grounds. Religious freedom laws play into this too. And I know you think that I'm probably getting like far off from fan fiction, but I'm not. It also plays into fan fiction because when you start making moral decisions for everybody else, 
you eventually start to say everything's immoral. So fan fiction is certainly too immoral to a lot of people. Will, do we want those people to say because it, it offends me, it goes against my morals, that we should just strike it? Of course not. So what do we judge by if it's not by morals? We judge by legal issues. We judge by whether it's legal or not. And it is legal. We've already established that fan fiction is legal in the United States. So therefore, fan fiction should be allowed in any form that it should be allowed in, which is like sites like Archive of Our Own that have legal teams are so important. They are so important because they go by law and not by morals. And I want you to remember, like looking over this, looking at Canada and the LGBTQ thing, looking at China and how they particularly restrict homoerotic explicit works, looking at Tumblr and how gay and queer were not able to be searched for at first until people raised a lot of hell about it after the Tumblr porn ban last year or no 2018 now December I think 2018 I want you to think about like should we really be deciding this stuff based on morality it should be remembered that the majority make the laws anyway. And if we're making these laws off of moral things, that like all porn should be banned because it's degrading and dehumanizing to women because that's my morality, who's going to suffer for that? It's not going to be dudes. It's not going to be men. At least not straight men. Who suffered for that in Canada? Gay bookstores. People in true crime fandoms. Artists. Because that's who always suffers. In India, I think, um, I don't have it sitting right in front of me, but in India there was this violent video game that was banned and they would actually go around and arrest kids for playing this video game. And it was mostly young guys that were being arrested just for playing a video game. Let's, let's not do that. If there are no victims, who are we saving and why? Because somebody else is morally against it, we have to save them from themselves. So just think about where these laws come from. Think about what kind of damage these laws do, have done, will continue to do, could do in the United States, already being done based on religious freedom laws. Think about, do you really want that? I mean, not to lecture, but yes. Do you really want that? Is that really what's best for us?
And then, you know, be very, very thankful for sites like Archive of Our Own and who are fighting for, for fandom, fighting for fan fiction and fan works in general and making fandom a better place. Thanks for listening to my podcast. And remember, you can listen to this on Spotify, Google Podcast, Anchor.fm, and Apple Podcast. If you do listen to this podcast on Apple Podcast, please rate and review. Thank you. You can also find this podcast on social media at Instagram, Tumblr, and Philip Pillowfort at um, Silenced Fandom for all those platforms. Or find me on Twitter at Hillary Hensley. So this thing that we had last time is still running this time. If you give me a shout out or recommend me on social media, I will make sure to recommend you on this podcast. Um, if you want me to recommend like a fan fiction of yours, I can do that. Just let me know like by DMing me or something and then giving me a shout out on your platform. It can be through your fan name. doesn't have to be through anything else. Um, yeah, and make sure to tell me your fem slash recommendations. So if you wrote it, that's cool. I can put it on for next podcast. Thanks so much for listening, and I hope you enjoyed. See you next Saturday.